following is a production of Word Alive Creative Arts. Welcome to the podcast of Word Alive International Outreach in Oxford, Alabama, an apostolic center for transformation and freedom. We pray today that you will be blessed and strengthened by this powerful message. Speaking of doing good things, we were so excited to uh, get to hear that Doc Henley and Amber, his wife and children from Wine to Water, they've been traveling the last uh, month, I think, uh, out to Texas and back. They've been hosting Wine to Water events. If you're not familiar with them, we've been partnering with them, I guess, for about a decade now as they are making clean water available around the world and many other great exploits for the kingdom of God. Doc Henley's become a dear, dear friend of Bev. Him and Amber have been great friends of ours. We love them. We love their family. We love what they do for the kingdom of God. We love that they do it in a non-religious way. We love that they uh, are humble And we love the fact that they believe God can use broken people to do significant things if we'll just yield our lives to him. And so we're so excited that they were able to stop by here today as they uh, finalize their journey on the way back to Boone, North Carolina. Would you join me and give a big word of life welcome to our friend, Doc Hindley. Come on. Thank y'all, thank y'all for um, for having my family here. I've, I've told Pastor Kent for a while. I feel like this is home home for us. Um, I'm, I'm excited to give y'all some updates. Y'all are celebrating a lot of things, and uh, um, I, I feel like us, uh, our organization, even my family, even though we're far away, I feel like we're knit in our spirits with uh, your community. Um, and so we're celebrating some some things as well as an organization. Uh, just a few weeks back, I got a. Uh, an email it came through at four, like 16 in the morning, but I, I didn't see it till I woke up a couple hours later and I read it. And, uh, it was a, a note from our team in Tanzania. We've been watching cause we were getting close to our millionth person that we've been able to serve around the world. And it, they sent a little picture and a snapshot of a family, uh, in a small village in Tanzania at four sixteen AM, just a few weeks ago, we hit our millionth person that we've been able to serve around the world. Um, <clears throat> worked in over 50 countries and I, you know, I, when I first started this, a lot of y'all have heard me talk. I, I had no idea we'd be in this place. I had no idea God could use a guy like me to do work like that. Um, I also celebrating some other stuff too with the organization that, you know, I, I was talking to Pastor Kent um, yesterday, he told me about the season that y'all are in and, and, uh, and told me about, um, you know, the, what the 40 days means and also the importance of repentance. And it's not just the typical word that you think of when you think of repentance that I'm really sorry for all the stuff that I did and that I'm doing and that I'm going to do and all that. But um, it was really crazy because I've been in that season as well. I, not too long ago, again, I feel like our spirits are, are knit. I really started to dig in. What does that mean? So I dug into that word and how it was used originally and, and, and found out, shockingly, that the word repentance, uh, it's, it's pretty simple. And they used it a lot even before it became more of a religious term that we use today. Um, it was really coined back in the old, older days in, in the Greek time as, as just a change of mind. That's what the word actually meant. It just I changed my mind about something. And I was kind of shocked by the simplicity of of that thought of that word. And um, my mind was changed even with something with my own organization. 
um, a while back. I, when, when COVID hit, obviously we're a small nonprofit and we've done great things, but we're still a small group of people that God uses little people to do big things. And so we're worried. What if people aren't able to support right now? What if, what if businesses are shutting their doors and we're not able to continue? And, and as we're wondering, how are we going to survive through all this and get people clean water? Um, my brother, who runs a, a, a restaurant and bar downstairs that also supports Wanda Water, a, a, a pub called Ransom. I know Pastor Kent's told you about it. Our, our logo is actually a ram. And it got the idea from a ram being caught in the thicket and how, how uh, God ransomed all of us and that we hope it will be a place where people can come to know the truth in a place like that. Well, my brother runs that, that pub, and then one day on St. Paddy's Day, which is my favorite holiday the entire year, um, on St. Paddy's Day in North Carolina, March 17th, the governor comes out and says all restaurants, bars shut down uh, for in-person service. And, and so in one day, my brother laid off 50 people, 50 and he knows these servers, these bartenders, these folks, they, this is, they live paycheck to paycheck. How are they going to make their rent money this month? How, how are they going to take care? How are these single mamas we got working with us, how are they going to be able to feed them and their babies? Sure, they make making file for unemployment, but it's probably going to be three, four weeks or longer if it's, the system's all backed up. So my brother and I were sitting there talking, and he's like, what can we do? And I'm like, well, we... We do food. Maybe we can help feed these folks that, until they figure out a way to get back on their feet. So Todd, my brother, said, all right, well, we have access to order food. I don't know how we're going to get the money, but they can put us on credit because that's how we do it anyway. So he said, we're going to put it out to the community, not just our restaurant, but the other restaurants and the other places that have had to lay people off. And we're going to say, if you need food this week, we're going to provide it for you. And not any food. We want it to be good food, fruits, vegetables. We wanted people to thrive in a time of where everybody is in survival. So my brother put together a box, a package that would hold 40 meals, enough for two people to eat for an entire week. And he says, if anybody wants these boxes that we're going to put together, we're not going to turn anybody away. So we didn't, again, no idea how we're going to pay for it, but we just opened it up to the community. And within 48 hours, we got a request for 16,000 meals in our little community in North Carolina. And we had already decided, you know, kind of like one of those things that Pastor Kent says, he laid, they laid $100 down and they're like, are we sure that was, you know. So we, uh, we ordered enough food for 16,000 meals. And by the next Friday, we had pushed out 16,000 meals. Had no idea how we were going to be able to pay for it. But as the good Lord does, he provided. And uh, now, if, if you'd asked me just to, handful of weeks before that. Hey, do you think Wanda Water would ever be involved in feeding people? Well, no, we're, we're a water organization. That's what we do. We do water, sanitation, some other things, but really we, that's, food is kind of out of our radar. Well, God changed my mind. We've fed now over 150,000 meals in our community. And so we're in a time right now, not just a celebration, but as you all know and are aware, there's something bigger happening. Yes, there's a season of 40 days, but I think God's really trying to get something through to all of us right now. Trying to say, just slow down. Listen, if I got to shake the foundations of the earth right now, I'm going to get you to listen to me. I think that's what he's doing right now. And I, I was thinking about what I was going to say this morning, and I was just talking to Pastor Kent in the back, and I, I remember 
this point when I was in Sudan, my very first place I ever went. And I'm in this time frame of my life where I don't, I'm in the middle of one of the worst wars and genocides on the planet, helping to love people that weren't anything like me. I'm, I'm in a community that's 95% tribal African Islamic, and I'm a Southern white boy from a Christian Baptist home. So that's about as opposite of a place as you can get. And I remember just falling in love with the people and the work that we were doing. Didn't matter that they believed a little different or prayed a little different or looked different or whatever. I just fell in love with that I would get to do this kind of work. And I remember vividly getting to a point out there where I couldn't get it through my head. Why would God use somebody like me to do this kind of work? Why would he choose me? Why? There's so many other people out there that are so much better, that do things the right way and say things the right way. I feel like I ain't done nothing but stumble and fall my whole life. Why? And so I remember praying. I said, God, if you just help me to know why you would love somebody like me. And I guess the only way that would happen, I never really thought about marriage or having kids at that time, but if I make it out of this place alive, because there was a few run-ins and things in that time of my life where I didn't know if I was going to make it out of that place alive. I'm like, if you have it for me to get out of here and, and survive this, if you'll help me to know why you would love me the way you do, I, I would like to know that. And maybe that means I get married one day and maybe I have kids. Maybe if I understand why and how a father loves a son or a daughter, maybe I could somewhat understand more why you would choose me. And he granted me that request. I got to survive Sudan. I met my wife a few days later, and, and not long after that, we were um, expecting our, our first child. Unfortunately, uh, after you know being married about a year, we, we lost our, our first child um, into about the, the second trimester or so. So we, you know that was obviously very difficult for Amber and I to deal with. And I remember when we got pregnant again, we were terrified. You know, now, like, gosh, are we going to lose this one? What's going to happen? I don't, we don't know. And I remember I had to, I had to be in Uganda. Um, we, we were successful in that second pregnancy. Everything was great. My oldest son, Beatty, he's sitting right over there. Um, and so I'm like, okay, everything's good. We have a son. He's, he's breathing. He's healthy. Everything's wonderful. So I shot over to Uganda. I had to be there for about a month to do some work. And I get a phone call from my wife. Just I could hear something was wrong. And she said, our son is going to need some really, you know, invasive surgery on his head. Uh, he doesn't have a soft spot. They're going to have to go in and remove portions of his skull. And, and, and I started reading this thing called craniosynostosis and saw all the potential bad things that can happen. And so I just lost it. I, I just lost it. Because the thing that I asked God to do, he answered. I found out that by having a son, by having a child... I found out what it means to love something infinitely beyond myself. Farther than anything I could ever understand and even articulate with the word love. And now I have that. God granted me that, that gift to love something so much more than myself. And can it be taken from me? I was having a hard time. I flew home immediately, left Uganda now, I remember coming to a church and trying to figure out what the surgeries are going to mean, how much 
what all this means. And I, I, I remember I came right up the front of this one church. I told Pastor Kent, and I didn't know what to do. I was just in there. I'm, I'm not a big church person. I don't, I don't attend a whole lot. So I just, I, I go to the front of this place, and I've been doing a little research on the word worship. I like to dig into words and what they mean. And well, worship means you just kind of prostrate yourself in front of somebody and something that's much greater than you, whether it's a king or whether it's God himself. So I went to the front of this place and did that, just trying to have a conversation with this creator that has created me so much and asked questions. Um, I was not too long escorted out because I don't think that was the kind of worship they were kind of messed up the singing. <laughs> have a guy on the front floor prostrating themselves when everybody else trying to be happy, so I was escorted out. But I, um, I remember about a week later, um, we had a church locally that just brought us up to the front and prayed over my son. Again, we're still like, what's happening? We're about three, four days out now from the surgery. Amber and I are just knotted up beyond anything. And I'm sure some of you who have kids who have probably gone through some hard things know that feeling. We don't know what's coming. We're more scared than we've ever been in our entire life. I'll take ambushes and getting shot at any day over this feeling. And my wife's mother was coming home from our hospital visit. And she pulled over to the side of the road. There was a little, almost what looked like an outdoor chapel or whatever, under, you know, undercover. And she just pulled over and just went and prayed by herself. And two women came up and said, we'd like to pray for you. But is everything okay? And she said, she's crying. And she said, well, my grandson, first grandson, I was having these medical problems. And we're not sure what's going to happen. We're scared. So they started praying over. And Miss Vanessa, my grandma, uh, Amber's mama calls and says, I, I've got a word for you. I just had, thank you, sir. I just had a meeting with these women and they prayed over Beatty, your son. And they, they said, they had a vision while we were praying that your son was an older man and he was speaking in front of thousands of people. And when the ladies told Miss Vanessa, my mother-in-law that, she, her face just turned white as a sheet. And she said, I, I saw the same thing when I was praying. I saw the same thing. So when Miss Vanessa told Amber and I that, immediately, without question, without hesitation, all that fear, all that worry, all that animosity, everything that we had, all that anxiety, it immediately was gone. God, God changed our mind. He used the word of somebody else. He used a vision. He used something and he changed our mind. I didn't worry about Beatty anymore. I knew the surgery was going to be a success. Because how was he going to make it to a stage one day and speak to you all and share the good news? If God didn't keep his word, and I, I trust that. I believe that. And so I was thinking about what to say then today coming up here in this season of changing minds and repentance. And I I think sometimes it takes something like that, a word, something to look forward to, a promise, to help us look forward to that and not to know and change our mind that we're not going to be in this place forever. We're not going to be in this place of pause, of uncertainty, of unrest that's happening where everybody feels like they're against each other. We're not going to be here forever. We're actually not going to be here very long. But I think I've got a word for y'all. I don't really know how this stuff goes, but I was in 
Tanzania, of all places, last year. I'll be back there again, actually, in about three weeks. And I, I remember I shot Pastor Ken Arnone because I had this experience with my, my team. One of my guys there picked up this, we were out in this village way out. I mean, they live in mud huts and, and far from anything that you, any type of amenities or power or anything. They're in these mud huts and we're visiting them, trying to check out what water we're going to do. And, and one of the local women brings, um, brings us into her home. And hanging on the, the mud wall of this mud hut, there was this container, you know, this big, you know, it looked like brown leather, and it's about this big. Um, what I would find out later is called a calabash. And what it is, it, it, there's these trees that grow these massive pods of seeds, and they would take the seeds out of the middle of them, the pods, and it becomes a container. And they would take this container, they smoke it over a fire to clear it and clean it out, and so it's got this smoked charred flavor, and the, the mothers would put their milk in this container, and they would use it to feed their children. And he took that container, and he looked at it like, I, I didn't know why he was looking at it, like he thought it was the greatest thing he'd ever seen. He looked at it, and he smelled it, and his whole face just changed. He said, I haven't smelled that smell since, since I was a child. That's what my mother used to give me milk out of. I haven't smelled it since I was a young child that you hear right now, which is beautiful sound. I had a vision then. I thought it was for just Pastor Kent of this calabash, and I couldn't understand it. I didn't know why I was thinking about it. I remember shooting him a note, and I guess I was a little confused, but I was watching all y'all today, and I thought about that, that calabash and what it did to that man that brought him back immediately to being a child. And I realized, I think that is this whole community, this family, this body, that you have a gift. And in this new season, you're going to bring people back, their children. You're going to bring their hearts back to being childlike. You're going to be a vessel that's going to carry. Milk is so much more important than just water that gives life. Not only does that provide life for that child, but it provides substance, sustenance, food. And there's something I remember vividly in those days leading up to that surgery with my son. I, I remember I, I could feed him. I didn't have a calabash. We had a little teeny old bottle that I would feed him with. But that bond that was created between us, just feeding that child that milk, is something that any of you parents know that you'll never, you'll never forget. And I see that in this community that you're going to reach out now to your, what, 67th? county and the state and that this state your community around you is going to feel that from you that you're here to love and serve and provide for them like they've never been provided for like they've never been loved before they're not going to know what hit them when y'all come through this time and into this community so i want to say that word i don't really know if i did it right but that word, I feel like, I know it sounds weird. We have it in South Carolina. I think calabash is actually a type of seafood in South Carolina. But that vessel that immediately brought my good friend when he smelled it back to his youth and his childhood, I see that for this community. And you've done that for me and for my wife. Every time we step in this place, we might be at each other's throat 350 miles before here from, uh, from the Texas border on over which happens, you know, just because generally I say things I probably shouldn't. Um, but immediately when we step in this place, that stuff just goes away and we're 
our souls go back, our spirits go back to, to being childlike. And that's because of you and a gift that all y'all have as a community. And I just want to thank you for that gift, and I'm excited to see you give that gift. So I just want to say thank you for being a part of our lives, for, for yoking your spirits with mine and my families. Um, I want to say thank you for, for just believing in us, not, not just the work that we do as an organization and wherever the good Lord is going to take it, but literally believing in us and my family. It means, it means the world to me. Thank you, Pastor Kim. This has been a presentation of Word Alive International Outreach, 122 Allendale Road, Oxford, Alabama. Reach us by phone at 256-831-5280 or at our website, wordalive.org. This has been a production of Word Alive Creative Arts.